Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of November 4th. Hindsight is 2020. I'm your host, Dan Creeder, here with Dan Belton, as we go over the results of the 2020 presidential election, or at least the most likely results as of now, and the surprising reaction in risk asset markets. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creeter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, Dan, it's been a whirlwind 24 hours. I'm sure that the listeners are as short asleep as we are here. But at this point, it looks like we're going to have a President Biden after all with the Republican Senate. Is there any way that can change or is it pretty much set in stone at this point? Yeah, it certainly isn't over yet. Prediction markets right now, I think, are giving President Trump about a 15 to 20 percent chance as of this recording. President Trump, I think, outperformed a lot of the polls last night. He was able to win Florida and Ohio and come close in a few other swing states. But as the dust settles, it looks like he's still going to need a few more states where he's trailing here and might come up just short. Like you said, though, the surprise of the night is probably the Senate remaining Republican. I think most forecasts had that about 75 percent chance to go blue. Yeah, I can't help but keep my eye on Nevada and its low amount of votes to be counted. And I keep thinking with all the craziness we've had so far, maybe Nevada can flip to Trump. I'm aware, of course, that the rest of the votes to be counted are mail-in votes that have skewed Democratic. So it probably looks like a very narrow path here for President Trump to win re-election. And yes, I agree with you. The biggest surprise of the election actually turns out being, despite all the craziness, is just the Senate staying Republican. Well, that should say it's a surprise for you. I had the Senate staying Republican. So I guess I can be happy about that. But for the second straight time, I got the result of the election correct, but totally whiffed on the market's response to it. And for me, this is the biggest story. And it's almost a question of where do you want to begin? I mean, first, we have the biggest narrowing in credit spreads at least in months, that I can remember off the top of my head. Secondly, we have equities up about 3% at the time that we're recording here. And third, we have bonds as much as 14 basis points lower in the 10-year sector on the day. Bonds and stocks both up appreciably. And this comes as a huge surprise to me. I thought that, you know, the consensus view that we were certainly on board with heading into the election was that a contested election or a very close result was a bad outcome for risk assets since it opened the door for a disputed election, lawsuits, uncertainty over the president as well as potentially Congress, and that, two, a split Congress would at least initially be interpreted as a bad thing for risk assets, given what it implies for near-term stimulus or the size of stimulus that is eventually delivered. So in that vein, you could view today's election result as basically a worst-case scenario. We certainly have a very close election it's certain at this point that we're going to be fighting this out in courts. I mean, President Trump has already moved for a recount in Wisconsin and is questioning the legality of certain mail-in votes. We're going to have lawsuits. We're going to have uncertainty. And we have a split Congress, it looks like. And yet, in this worst case scenario, risk assets are performing the best they have in months. Help me understand this. 
So with respect to your point about the contested election, well, I, I do agree with you that we are going to be fighting this out in courts for weeks or even months to come. But I don't believe that the outcome is one of uncertainty right now. I think the market is going to probably look past some of these legal battles that are sure to come and price to a Joe Biden presidency. I think as long as he captures either Nevada and Arizona or Pennsylvania or Michigan, that the market is going to move past some of these legal battles and assume that Joe Biden is going to hold on to the presidency, even if there is a long drawn out process in the courts. It's somewhat similar to the 2000 election, although I think it's going to be less close than that one ultimately ended up being. Now, one reason I think there is a positive risk tone has ensued from this outcome is that in some sense, we do have a continuation of the status quo. Because we have a Republican Senate now, they're likely to protect some of the things that President Trump did with his tax reform, deregulation in certain aspects of the economy. Now, one deviation that we'll have with a Biden presidency and a Republican Senate is we might have some more stability with respect to international relations. We might have, for instance, marginally improved relations with China. And that should be good for the market. The one drawback, obviously, and one thing that the market had been pricing to in a positive manner in anticipation of a blue wave is fiscal stimulus. And we are very unlikely to get a comprehensive fiscal stimulus bill like we would have gotten in a blue wave. But otherwise, I don't think this represents as dire a market outcome as maybe you do. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't use the word dire. I don't think it's dire. But I do think that of the potential results coming out of the election, this would be you know, when I use the term worst case, I don't mean like it's dire. I just mean this is about as bad as this election could have gone for the market. And we didn't get any reaction even close to that. So a couple things to unpack with what you said. First, the taxation thing. Yes, I'm sympathetic to that notion. We talked about the impact of taxation in our podcast last week when equities were going another way, but bond spreads weren't reacting as much. We talked about the possibility that if there is changes in the tax code being priced in right now, it should have an outsized impact on equities, given expectations for an increased capital gains tax, eroding some of that tax advantage that equities have enjoyed for most of the Trump administration. So that makes sense to me. Tax policies being priced out as being one of the main drivers behind this risk on atmosphere. But it's not just equities. You look at credit spreads, which should be agnostic to corporate taxes. They have no bearing on creditworthiness of companies since you pay interest before taxes. And we see credit spreads having their best day in months all the way out to high yield. Across the credit spectrum, spreads are performing very well today. So we can set aside the explanation of taxes there, and then you're left with, it's just a straight risk on. And what are the drivers there? Sure, yeah, international trade could get thawed here a little bit. There are certainly reasons to look at a gridlock scenario and price in some optimism. But the most important near-term factor, in my view at least, and I think in a lot of people's views, is fiscal stimulus, which is now going to come later and smaller than people are expecting. And to me, that seems like a risk-off impulse. Now I'm going to transition to what you were talking about, uncertainty. Yes, I agree with you. The quote-unquote uncertainty doesn't appear like it's going to last long. It seems like we're going to have a pretty clear outcome to this election in the next couple of days. We will then get the lawsuits. You know, there's a lot of stories right now about you need to have a legal basis to sue. You can't just sue in the 2000 election Al Gore went through and looked at the actual ballots, you know, saw defects in the ballots, hanging chads, whatever it was, and was able to try to sue for a recount based on that legal basis. And I'm guessing that President Trump's not going to have a hard time finding some legal basis to sue this time, whether it's signatures on mail-in ballots not matching what they have on file or one of probably many other factors he can use as basis for a lawsuit. There will be lawsuits. And you're right. Maybe that's not going to end up like 2000, the courts decide the election, and the market's able to look through that. 
And that really brings me to the theme that I've sort of reflected on more than any other theme so far today. And that's this thought of looking through. You know, now you're reading these stories about the uncertainty and about the long drawn out legal process, but investors are willing to quote unquote, look through that. And that we're not going to have a large fiscal stimulus, but investors are willing to look through that. That we're going to have a large second wave, but investors will look through that until there's a vaccine. It's the same theme of investors looking through. And it got me thinking, okay, well, no matter what risk or shock faces an economy, eventually that shock subsides, right? Eventually the economy continues to grow, risk assets continue to move higher in price. So why don't we always just look through it? Why don't we always just look through any given stress? And it seemed like the answer that I came up with was just liquidity. A lot of times investors don't have the option of looking through. You have to move investments to cash in order to take a very microeconomic example. Let's look at household investments. If you're going to hold a stock portfolio, but then you need that money to pay your mortgage, you don't have the ability to do that. But when the Fed has unleashed so much liquidity into the financial system, you know, when you don't even have to pay your mortgage anymore, if you're having trouble, you just say, put me on a forbearance plan. I'm not paying. And it's one very microeconomic example that's supposed to be representative of the economy as a whole. If you're a struggling corporation, take out a loan that that you don't have to pay back. Go issue bonds at all-time lows and use the proceeds of that issue to pay off your previous debt because you can still get all-time lows because the Fed has just pumped liquidity into the system that credit risk has sort of gone away. If the price of your financial asset goes down, you can you know, sell it off to the Fed because investors aren't afraid of lending to corporations either short-term or long-term, the Fed is there to ensure liquidity, to ensure intermediation, to ensure the ability that you're able to sell that asset. So if liquidity risk goes away, yeah, you have the luxury of of looking through. You have a backstop. You don't have to worry about liquidity risk anymore. And so there's many factors at play. I'm not simply chalking this up to the Fed, but it just the impact that the Fed has had on financial markets really can't be overstated. And to me, even today goes to show you that today's just another example of that. And that brings me to the FOMC that happens to have a meeting tomorrow. Dan, do you see any impact of the the surprising result from the presidential election yesterday and today on the FOMC? And what are you expecting to see just in general? Yeah, Dan, that's a good point. And I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think you're spot on that the Fed has really been the catalyst to all of this risk asset performance that we're seeing. And I think that we would not have this type of rally without the Fed being so active in our markets. Now, you raise an interesting point about what gridlock is going to mean for the Fed. And we've seen consistently Fed officials come out and urge more fiscal stimulus, not just Jerome Powell, but Jerome Powell has been very active in this. But a lot of Fed officials have urged for more fiscal stimulus It seems now incrementally less likely that we're going to get a comprehensive fiscal stimulus bill from Washington. So what does that mean for the Fed? It's hard to say. I don't expect the Fed to do anything about that tomorrow. But I think if we don't get a significant fiscal stimulus bill, and it's possible that we do, Mitch McConnell has come out and said that the first order of business when Congress reconvenes next week would be to get some type of bill across. Now, is that bill going to be comprehensive? How big is it going to be? That remains to be seen. But I think if it's not seen as sufficient in the eyes of the Fed, then yeah, I think that is going to likely spur the Fed to act more. As for what action that would be, you know, the Fed has a few tools left with respect to its quantitative easing program. Could the Fed extend some of its emergency liquidity programs? I think that's probably one of the things that they would 
look to if we don't get a sufficient fiscal stimulus. But I don't expect any of that tomorrow, but I think there will be those discussions going on at the meeting today and tomorrow. You talk a bit about the emergency liquidity facilities, and we're now in early November. The last time the Fed extended those facilities was, what, July 28th, I believe, for an original expiration date of September 30th. So about two months, a little over two months, actually, before scheduled expiration, the Fed extended those. We're now inside of that window given the revised expiration date of 1231. Now, I don't think there's any chance those aren't going to be extended. I think the market is certainly expecting those to be extended. Is there any chance that 1231 is the actual expiration now that we're inside of two months to the date? Yeah, I think it's possible, but I don't think it's likely. I think year-end is kind of an odd time to wind down a facility that's been so impactful. Typically, we see the end of December mark a pretty illiquid time in the market. I think the Fed would be wary of letting this facility wind down then and seeing possibly an event of illiquidity hit the corporate debt market and cause an event that the facility was designed to prevent. So I don't think it's likely, but it certainly is possible. We haven't seen that announcement yet. And so I don't think you can count out the possibility of the facility ending on time. Now at the election in the rearview mirror, or at worst, soon to be in the rearview mirror, we can take a step back and start to survey the landscape for the rest of 2020 and potentially into 2021. Now, Our view that we've talked about a couple times in the past few weeks here has been that we wanted to build credit overweights during this time frame with the hope that we would have some buying opportunities with credit spread wide. And we got a little bit of that last week, but the event risk itself brought on by the election has obviously gone the other way. Has our outlook changed at all today? And what are the key factors that you're looking for over the rest of the year that help build your view? No, I don't think our outlook has really changed in light of today. I think Going forward into the end of the year, there is going to be continued focus on fiscal stimulus, even if expectations for that stimulus have dwindled a little bit. I think that's still going to continue to drive markets. I'm still looking for any short-lived weakness, for instance, on disappointing fiscal stimulus headlines as a buying opportunity. And even in light of this election, with this gridlock scenario set to take place beginning in January... That should strengthen the view for a low volatility environment. If we had a blue sweep, for instance, there's much more potential for the government to take on new platforms and things that could be potentially disruptive to different businesses in certain sectors like tech or financials. But with this gridlock scenario, it's unlikely that there's major political disruption to our markets. And that adds to my bias for a low volatility environment next year. So if anything, my expectation for building overweights has actually been strengthened after this election. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that I'm not giving up on the potential for there being some buying opportunities in the weeks ahead before Thanksgiving. You know, I think that we're going to see Trump legal challenges. We're going to potentially have some market fears over the viability of them. Perhaps there is at least some short-term thought that he could meaningfully alter the election results. I think obviously the virus continues to spread very rapidly across the United States and Europe. And we do know that President-elect Biden, or I guess I should say presumptive President-elect Biden, supports the reinstitution of lockdowns. I know that he's not president yet, but you know, you would think that his word will start to carry more weight if he is ultimately expected to take the Oval Office here. That could lead to, if not official mandates for staying at home, for people making the personal decision to do so. And we could start to see some fears over a renewed increase in job losses, start to see that initial jobless claims figure go the other way a little bit. So we've already seen volatility come back here in the past couple of weeks. I think that 
it's not going to be just smooth sailing here in the near term. But yes, I agree with you. The conviction that you need to buy any dip has really been strengthened for me. And really, I just look at Monday and Tuesday. And Monday and Tuesday, you know, big, huge market rallies going into the election. And it was mainly attributed to people pricing in a blue wave. Us included, we were saying the same thing, that this is the market pricing in a larger stimulus package. But then come today, and inarguably, a blue wave is priced out. We didn't get a blue wave. That's become a fact now. But stocks are higher again. It doesn't seem to me to make sense that you can have a huge rally based on one factor that then immediately reverses and markets continue to rally. It just says to me there's something else going on, whether that's you know this looking through phenomenon we talked about earlier in combination with the Fed backstop. Somewhat under the radar, vaccine headlines over the past couple of days looking quite supportive for a vaccine being delivered. There's just this downward pressure on spreads from the Fed and from the expectation that next year is going to be a very low volatility, low spread environment, and we're not getting as big of buying opportunities as we thought. So, yeah, I agree with you. My conviction has been strengthened. And, you know, one final note before we go, we should start to see vaccine headlines hit the tape, but also we did some work last week on market technicals just on supply, and we've had no corporate supply today. That looks like it might remain true for the remainder of the week. Obviously, we have significant election uncertainty as well as an FOMC meeting tomorrow, non-farm payrolls on Friday, and looking ahead for the rest of October. How did you see investment grade issuance patterns evolving over the month in comparison to the past few months? So we're expecting pretty low issuance in November, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First, over a longer time horizon, we are expecting issuance to moderate. And that's generally because of the amount of issuance that's been done. And corporate cash reserves are so high right now that there's less demand to raise cash. Now, there's still refinancing opportunities going on, but even those have slowed a little bit as we've been at the zero lower bound in rates for several months now. The other factor is that we've seen increased volatility in recent weeks, and that's been enough to keep issuers on the sidelines for several days. You mentioned this whole week, we haven't seen any issuance. It's likely that continues. So with this week off the table, and then the Thanksgiving holiday also posing some disruptions for the primary market, we're anticipating just 60 to $65 billion in corporate issuance this month. And that's a little bit below the consensus for 70 or $75 billion. Yeah, and very quickly, a very similar story in the SSA agency market. Freddie Mac did surprise us with an issue on Election Day yesterday. That one came as a big surprise. But from November, we're projecting just $12 billion in U.S. dollar SSA issuance with a couple smaller benchmarks from the agencies. The same factors that you described are at play, Dan, with the SSAs, but then also looking at cross-currency arbitrages. The dollar went off sides in early October and has not only stayed there, but has actually moved in further in favor of foreign currencies, at least heading into today. So maybe that retraces a little bit, but I wouldn't expect large movements in response to the election there in the basis. So SSA issuance to drop as well, and, and technicals just to start moving more in favor of narrower spreads when really that hasn't been the case through September and October. So just one more reason to think that spreads are going to remain well supported as we transition into the low spread, low volatility environment of 2021 and to be on the lookout for any buying opportunity that does materialize here in the weeks ahead. One final note, swap spreads somewhat ironically were moving more than credit spreads early in the day today after having not moved in basically three months inside of the range. 
We saw them widen a little bit, likely as a result of the gridlock scenario, pricing and smaller fiscal stimulus, less treasury supply, and thus slightly wider swap spreads. Obviously, we're still in the range there. It wasn't an outsized move, but just highlighting that and uh, reiterating that we continue to favor long swap spreads ahead of a presumptive pre-cessation trigger announcement from the SCA sometime by the end of the year. With that, Dan, I think you can finally get some sleep, and uh, we will see over the course of the rest of the week whether today's risk-on proves durable or just more result of repositioning after a surprising election outcome. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 